We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. I want to talk to you this morning about the promise keeper. This is the first marriage message. Let me try this again. The first message in our December series, The Promise Keeper. And we're going to look at the promises Jesus fulfilled uh, through the Old Testament, how they're brought to life in the New Testament in His heart and in His life. Now, last Sunday morning, I learned a crucial lesson. I used a story, an illustration that I thought was absolutely hilarious, but then I noticed there were probably about half of you that didn't laugh. So Sunday evening, Yvonne and I were with a couple of our millennials, and I asked them, how about that story? Did you get it? No, Pastor, we didn't get it. They were just giving me a courtesy laugh. So I tried this one out this morning on several age groups, and everybody laughed, all right? So let's give it another shot. You see, uh, the story goes that there's a little boy who was writing a letter to God about his Christmas wish. And he started out, Dear God, I have been good for six months. Then he paused for a moment, scratched that out, and wrote three months. Then he paused for a moment, scratched that out, and wrote two weeks. Then he paused for a moment, laid his pencil down, got up from the table, walked around to the nativity scene, picked up the figure of Mary, took it to his room, wrapped it in a clean t-shirt, and very carefully laid that figurine in his drawer. Then he went back to his pad at the table, picked up his pencil, and said, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again... All right, it doesn't matter how old you are, you get that one, right? Even those of you under 35 get that one, right? All right, good deal. When we look at Jesus and the prophecies He fulfilled, we recognize there were over 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by the birth and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. That in and of itself is pretty amazing. The fact that God would send His only Son in the form of a baby, to be born in a manger in a little-known city called Bethlehem to become the Savior of the world is a pretty amazing feat. And fact, I might add. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 that he was laid in swaddling, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. His humble beginnings actually disguised his ultimate purpose. His purpose was to die for the sin of you and me. His purpose was to rise again from the dead. His purpose was to bruise Satan under his heel and rise again victorious for all mankind. So being born in a stable in Bethlehem, being wrapped in a feed trough, clearly disguised the purpose of his coming. See, because the purpose of his coming was to be the promise keeper. The purpose of His coming was to fulfill God's plan for you and me on planet earth. The purpose of His coming was to reveal the fact that God loves you and I so much that He gave that which was most precious so we could walk in relationship with Him. His humble beginnings disguised His actual purpose. Kings aren't born in stables. Princes aren't laid in feed troughs. But Jesus Christ is, in fact, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible tells us that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, friend, it's not a matter of will you confess Him. It's a matter of when will you confess Him. Because at one point in time, every man, woman, boy, and girl 
will either confess Him as Lord and Savior in this life or confess Him as King of kings and Lord of lords in judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much prefer to embrace Him, to confess Him, to acknowledge Him, to accept Him now than stand before Him in judgment. You see, Jesus came to be the promise keeper. He came to be the one that fulfilled the law in its entirety. He came to be the one to do to completion what Adam messed up. He came to be our sacrifice. He came to be our way to God. He came to be our intermediary. He came to be the promise keeper. Jesus' birth was announced to shepherds on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. And by choosing to announce His birth to shepherds, not to kings, not to religious rulers, not to the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but to shepherds, God was saying this gift is for all mankind. It breaks every class distinction. It crosses every ethnic boundary. It moves through every culture, every generation, every linguistic group. It touches all mankind. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God chose to announce the gift of Jesus Christ to a bunch of shepherds. And you do realize that in biblical times, shepherds really weren't respected. They were kind of the scoundrels. They were the, pardon the pun, but the black sheep of the family. They weren't people that were embraced. They were outcast and cast off. That's all they could do to make a living because they didn't have either the skill or they didn't have the reputation to do anything any differently. Isn't it amazing that God chose to bring the promise keeper and make the announcement of His coming to a bunch of shepherds? I don't know about you, but that gives me hope this morning. That causes something to quicken within my spirit today, to recognize and to know that no matter where I've been or what I've done, the promise keeper is given to me. Jesus came for you and I. There's always hope as long as there's breath and we turn to Jesus Christ. The promise keeper has come for you and me. So look with me at Luke chapter 2, reading verses 8 through 11. The New King James Version says it this way. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. We say, well, that's a crazy reaction. No, probably you'd be afraid too if the same thing happened to you. I mean, think about it. If an angel showed up in your bedroom at 2 a.m. with a bright light and a loud voice, you might be a little startled. You might be just a little bit afraid. They were greatly afraid, not just a little bit. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And I love that last phrase which will be to all people. All people. The invitation, the gospel, the announcement, the gift is for every single one of us who choose to receive Him. Verse 11, there is born, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. When I read that scripture and I recognize the announcement, the birth, the coming of the promise keeper, it helps me to realize that God has come to meet us exactly where we're at. Do you all understand that? Religion wants to clean you up, dress you up, 
put on some cologne and make you smell good. But God doesn't care about any of that. He sent his son to be born in a cow in a sheep barn. Now, I grew up on a farm, as Ann referenced, and I assure you, I've never been in a cow or a sheep barn that smells good. They all stink. It's not a good place to be. It doesn't matter how many times you shovel it out, it just keeps reappearing. It's not a pleasant place to be. But that's where God chose to bring His Son. So that we could understand, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, no matter the strata of our life, He came to meet us where we are at. He came to meet you in your time of need. He came to meet you in your moment of weakness. He came to meet you in your sin. He came to meet you in your hypocrisy. You see, religion says, if you'll do this, we'll do that. We'll accept you. But Jesus said, all you got to do is come to me. The only qualification is believe that I am the one who has come to save you, deliver you, change you. You don't have to clean up first. I'm so glad I got saved and then God worked on me. I'm so glad it's an inside job. It started in my heart and then it is displayed in my daily life and behavior. It's not the other way around. When we do it the other way around, it's nothing but religion. Then we develop codes and rituals. Then we develop rules and routines. It has to be this way or you're not righteous. What did Isaiah say about our righteousness? He said our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So I'm talking to someone in this place today that's driven by that religious spirit, and I have come to tell you, you're not pleasing God. The only way you'll ever please God is lay aside those filthy rags of your righteousness, embrace His Son, let new life flow in you, let Him change you from the inside out, and be what God's called you to be. I overhear a lot of things on Main Street. That's why I'm out there before service and after service. Most of them make me laugh. This morning I overheard someone just passing me by. They thought I was talking to someone else who wouldn't hear me. I sure am glad that preacher's wearing a suit this morning. I'm tired of those short sleeve shirts. Get over yourself! My goodness, we live in Florida. It's 120 degrees in the sanctuary. So I'm just saying this may be the last time. So enjoy it. Anything I can do to get that religious spirit, I'm going to do every single time. Well, I just didn't very nice. I never claimed to be nice. Jesus meets us right where we are every time. Matter of fact, when you turn to Luke chapter 4, you'll see that Jesus was in his home city of Nazareth. He went to the synagogue at the hour of prayer. They asked him to read from the scripture, so he picked up the scroll of Isaiah and he began reading these words. And I'm reading this from the message version, all right, because I like the way it says it. It says, God's Spirit is on me. He has chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. I want you to note this. He's chosen me to what? Preach good news to the poor. Preach good news to the poor. Preach good news to the poor. Religion wants to preach good news to the rich and famous. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce pardon to prisoners. Oh, I don't know about you, but you need to understand every one of us have been enslaved. Every one of us have been in prison. And Jesus came to announce, I've got your pardon right here. I've got a new life, a new hope, a new destiny right here. 
You're not going to have to do parole. You don't have to answer to a probation officer. I pardon you. I wipe the slate clean. Oh, my goodness. Pardon to the prisoners. Come to preach recovery of sight to the blind. Not just those that are physically blind, but those that are spiritually blind. Those that can't see beyond their own religion, he came to announce the recovery of sight to the blind. You don't believe that? Read John 3, the story of Nicodemus. That's exactly what he was doing. He said, I come to set the burdened and the battered free. The burdened and the battered. That describes our society, does it not? Do you realize that one out of every three people in America have been abused at some level? The burdened and the battered. He came to set you free. What does that mean? It means He comes to lift the restrictions of those memories from your life. He came to break the chains of that abuse off of you. He came to undo the victim mentality and make you a victor through the power of Jesus Christ. Please understand, I'm not minimizing anyone who's been abused, but I'm saying you don't have to stay there. There's time to move on. There's room in the kingdom for you to accept grace and mercy, to show and receive forgiveness. And when you do, He's going to set the battered and the burdened free. Amen. Love that passage. And then He goes on to conclude it by saying in the message, to announce, this is God's year to act. Oh, I like that. 400 years of silence, and suddenly the promise keeper shows up, and he says, all that's over and done with. You're going to see God do mighty things. God's going to prove who God is. You're going to see God act. You know the difference in those who follow the promise keeper and those who follow religion? Those who follow the promise keeper see the acts of God. See the works of God. Experience the grace of God. They see God doing things that only God can do. Those who follow the religion, uh, they just do the little prayers, have a little ditty every Sunday morning, give a little bit in the offering, and they go home thinking they're much better. No, He came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to set the prisoner free. He came to open blind eyes. He came to release those who are battered and burdened and to announce this is the year God acts. The promise keeper is here. The promise keeper has come. He has come to meet us exactly where we are. Think about it with me. He comes to meet us in our pain and loneliness. You can look at Luke chapter 8. We're going to be there for a few minutes, so you might want to turn over there. Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48, Jesus is back in Capernaum. And when he arrived, there was a religious looter, ruler, pardon me, who came to him and he said, my daughter is dying, would you come and pray for her and make her whole? So on the way to Jairus' house, all of a sudden Jesus stopped. And he said, I don't know what's going on, but somebody just touched me. Who touched me? Who touched me? You know the story. Peter said, Lord, what are you talking about? There's a crowd all around you. People are pressed in. Of course somebody touched you. He said, no, you don't understand. From the message, I felt the power leave me. From the King James, virtue departed. He said, something happened. Somebody received something from the Father. God was acting. 
Oh, somebody needs to get this. This is a powerful principle. You need to understand, it's not a matter of being in the right place at the right time. It's a matter of pressing in until you touch the Master. Because when you touch the Master, with faith believing, the Master touches you. His power flows through your life. You are revolutionized, healed, restored, made whole when you're touched by, when the Master touches you. The touch of His hand. Peter said, there's crowds around you. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, virtue departed. I felt power leave me. So who touched me? Who touched me? Love the way message says it. It says, when the woman realized she couldn't remain hidden, she knelt before him and told him her story, poured out her heart. And this is what she said. She said, I've been sick for 12 years. I've been hemorrhaging. I've spent everything I have trying to receive help and healing and nothing has helped. I'm just as bad off today as I was then. But I knew if I could just touch the hem of your garment, I would be made every bit whole. She didn't say, if I could get in front of you, if you'd lay your hands on me, if you'd speak a word over me. No, she had a word from the throne. She knew this was God's year to act. And she said, if I can just touch you, it's going to be whole. Oh, someone, someone in this room needs to hear this. Someone watching online needs to hear this. You need to understand it's all about you expressing your faith and touching Him. And when you do, miraculous things occur, mighty things occur. I love what Jesus said to her in the last verse, verse 48, Luke chapter 8, from the message. He said, daughter, you took a risk in trusting me. Now you're healed and whole. Live well, lived blessed. Do you hear that? If we're going to receive from Jesus Christ, the promise keeper, it means taking a risk. It means stepping out of your comfort zone. At the end of this service today, some of you are going to take a risk. Some of you are going to say, I need Jesus to forgive me, to cleanse me, to change my life. Some of you are going to receive Him as your Savior because you took a risk. The end of the service today, some of you are going to be healed. Some of you are going to be renewed. Some of you are going to be encouraged. Some of you are going to find those things broken off of you because you chose to get out of your seat and take a risk. Because something in that lady's behavior, actions, and attitude sparked faith in your heart. And you're saying, if you can do it for her, he'll do it for me. So he meets us in our pain and loneliness. He meets us in our frustration and anger. Can you imagine Jairus, the president of the temple, ruler of the synagogue, the King James says? Finally, Jesus came to Capernaum and his daughter is dying. And he said, if you'll just come with me, I know you'll make her whole. So on the way, suddenly there's an interruption. God, we didn't plan this. Jesus, don't you understand? My daughter is dying. Quit talking to this woman. She already got what she wanted. Let's move on. My daughter is dying. How many of you have ever become frustrated and angry when you feel like God hit the pause button? When you feel like God just stopped and let you hang? You're not receiving what you wanted even though you know it's yours to get. God hit the pause button. See, and he's chose to minister to someone else in that moment of time. Notice Jesus hit the pause button because of that little old woman's faith. 
because she reached out and touched him and said, that's all I need is to touch the hem of his garment, then I'm going to be every bit whole. Can I tell you, God is big enough to minister to you and to you and to you and to you. And even if he puts you on pause, he's circling back around and the answer is on the way. He's going to minister life to you. So you can read the rest of that story and it says that he went on to Jairus' house. He put everybody out. And then he said, Tabitha, arise. Oh, the part I left out in that story? Before he finished talking to the woman with the issue of blood, you can read it in verse 49. The King James says, while he was yet speaking, before he even finished talking to the woman who was just healed, someone came from the ruler's house and said, don't trouble him anymore. Your daughter's already dead. Don't trouble him anymore. It's of no use, no value, no hope. Oh, somebody in this room this morning needs to hear it. It is not over until he says it's over. There is hope. There is life. There is promise. If you'll just reach out and trust him. So he went to his house. He put them all out. He spoke, Tabitha, arise. And the little girl, the young lady, arose and came back to life. What a marvelous thing. When God hits the pause button, listen to me, it may be because He has something greater in store for you. The ruler of the synagogue just wanted a healing. But he got a little girl raised back from the dead. Sometimes God wants to do something greater in you. That's why He pauses His ministry in your life. That's why He pauses the answer so that you can receive something much greater than you can even dream or begin to imagine. Somebody needs to get that in their spirit this morning. Quit blaming God. Quit shaking your finger at the Father and say, if you would have only, if you would have only been here, I wouldn't be going through this. Oh, I'm here to tell you, He never left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He just hit pause because something greater is coming for you. You need to enter into that and receive it this morning. In our frustration and in our anger, Jesus is there to meet us in our everyday lives. Again, from Luke chapter 8. You can read it in verses 22 through 24. Jesus told the disciples, let's get in the boat and let's cross to the other side of the lake. And the Bible says while they were crossing, he was asleep in the back of the boat. And they had a huge storm. The boat began to fill with water. The wind and the waves were tremendous. They were afraid for their very lives. Now, this wasn't new to these guys. Many of them spent their life on that lake as fishermen. Crossing it wasn't a new thing. They were doing what they did every day. See, sometimes just living life puts you in positions where you think, God's all but forgotten me. God's all but forsaken me. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's a spouse walking out. Who knows what it is, but just living life puts you in places where you have to once again trust God. So in that everyday life, that everyday event, they grasped what God was able to do. They woke him up and they said, Master, don't you care? We're about to die. We're about to die. And what did he do? He rebuked the winds and the waves. He said, Peace, be still. And then the amazing part of that story is the last verse. You'll find it in verse 24. They were amazed and said, what manner of man is this? 
Oh, can I tell you, when God meets you, when the promise keeper meets you in your everyday life, when you're going about the routine of business, when things happen because you're a human and he shows up, it's going to cause you to be amazed. It's going to cause you to say, wow, look at God I serve. Look at what my God can do. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, the shepherds grasp that experience. They grasp the promise. And when you and I also grasp the promise of the promise keeper, it changes our lives. Look at it very quickly with me. When the promise keeper invades our life and we begin following him, it brings radical action to you and me. Radical action. We change the way we were living and we begin to live another way. It brings radical action and radical behavior. Is there a scriptural example of that? Yeah, there actually is. Mark chapter 2, you can read it. Verses 1 through 12. When they heard that Jesus was in the house, they flooded the place so much so that there wasn't room for even one more person to get in the door. And then, have you ever been in that crowd that heard just a day late? That crowd that felt like they were just a dollar short? If only I would have been there yesterday. If only I would have been there five minutes ago. Maybe some of you experienced that on Black Friday. I was just too late. I didn't get what I wanted. Shame on you for going anyway. Sleep, enjoy your rest. You know what? My wife, I'm so proud of her. She bought every Christmas gift we have to buy without ever leaving the couch. I love Amazon. She didn't drag me to a single mall. I didn't have to go to Walmart or Target. I loved it so much. Bless you, honey. Do it again. Take a lesson. There's a better way to do things. So we need to understand that there were these guys that had a friend that was paralyzed and they were late to the party. Time they got there, they couldn't get in. There wasn't room. See, that's where most of us stop. I was late. I missed it. I missed it. But the the Scripture shows us in Mark chapter 2, don't give up. Take radical action and have some radical behavior. So they climbed up on the roof and they tore the roof loose over where Jesus was standing. And then they took the guy that was paralyzed and with four ropes, one on each end, let him down in front of Jesus. Now, why was he there? He was there to be healed, correct? Because he couldn't walk. But what did Jesus say to him? Anybody know? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus is much more interested in your spiritual condition than in your physical condition. He much more wants to forgive you, to cleanse you, to release you, to liberate you than he wants to deal with the physical issues. Won't you let him say to you this morning, your sins be forgiven thee. And then he said, arise, take up your bed and walk. And the lame man did exactly that, being changed not only on the outside, but on the inside, first and foremost. Because the promise keeper wants your heart. He wants your devotion. He wants your adoration. He wants you to know Him as your Savior, as your Lord, as your forgiver, as the one who always loves you, who never leaves you. He wants you to know His grace and His mercy. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time to understand. He he forgives and then He transforms. It's a radical gospel. Stories in John chapter 9. Matter of fact, the entirety of John chapter 9 deals with one story. You'll never find another chapter of the Bible that deals with one story other than John chapter 9. John chapter 9 
The Bible tells us that there was a blind man who was blind from birth. And Jesus called him to him, spit in the dirt, made some clay, put it on his eyes, and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he washed, the Bible says, he came away seeing. His sight was restored. He had never seen a day in his life. I don't know how old he was. The Bible says his parents said to the Pharisees, he's of age, let him tell you the story. All we know is that means he's full grown. So whether he was 18 or 22 or 13, I don't know. I just know that he was a grown man who had never seen one day in his life. And the Bible goes on to recount the story. The first person that he talked to in John chapter 9, the first persons, were his neighbors. Because all of a sudden, these neighbors saw this guy who was once blind, seeing. And they said, now wait a minute. Isn't this the guy that sat and begged? Yeah, yeah, that's him. It's the same guy. What happened to you? And so he told them, this guy made clay, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash. And when I did, I could see. Well, it didn't just stop with the neighbors. Because the neighbors wanted to tell somebody else. And I don't know if it was out of jubilation and joy or whether it was out of criticism and jealousy. But for one reason or another, they went to the Pharisees. And they say, do you know what happened to this guy that was born blind? And so they called him in and they said, what happened to you? And they began to tell them the story of being healed by Jesus Christ. And they said, do you think this guy is of God? He can't be of God. And listen to the reasoning, because they healed you on the Sabbath. Can't be of God. God wouldn't do that. What did I say to you when we began? This is the year for God to act. He said, I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. He's doing exactly what he said in Luke chapter 4 from Isaiah chapter 61, exactly being the promise keeper. So they called this guy's parents in and they said, what happened to him? We don't know. We know he was born blind. We know that today he sees. Do you think this Jesus, he said, they said, we're not going down that road. He's of age, ask him. So the second time they call him back in. And they said to this man who was born blind, who could now see, tell us again what happened to you. And I love this guy. He's had it up to here with religion. Me and him were in the same camp. I already told you, you didn't listen to me. If I tell you again, are you going to believe on him and be his disciple? Love that. And then they said, is this man of God or is this man a sinner? And he said these words in verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. That though I was blind, now I see. Oh, come on, folks. There comes a time in your life when you lay aside theological arguments. You lay aside religious exercises. You lay aside that stuff Grandma taught you. And you say, this one thing I know. I was bound for hell, but now I'm free. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was trapped in miry clay, but my feet are set on the rock to stay. I once was away from Him, and now I'm a member of the family of God. I once was an alien and a stranger, but now I'm family. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. This one thing I know. Hallelujah. This one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. And then they said, well, we know this guy is not of God. He said, how can that be? In the history of the world, I'm paraphrasing a statement. In the history of the world, blinded eyes have never been opened. That's his world and the history he knows. 
It's never happened that way. How could that be? Yes, this man is from God. Oh, folks, he meets us right where we're at. He brings radical action, radical behavior. He shows himself to be a radical Savior and a radical God when we choose to believe the promise keeper. See, I've come to tell you this morning that of the 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus fulfilled every one. He didn't leave one of them undone or unfulfilled. He fulfilled every single one. And when we understand He's going to meet us where we're at, when we understand He's going to meet us in our pain and loneliness, in our frustration and our anger, when we understand that He's going to bring radical action and radical behavior, He's going to show us a radical gospel, radical salvation, a radical God, then something happens within you and me. Something occurs that causes us to say, wow, that's what I want. One more story from the Scripture. John chapter 4. The Bible says Jesus, the King James, must needs go through Samaria. He had an appointment at the well. There was a lady who was there at noon. Normally they drew water early in the morning. She came at noon because she was an outcast. And Jesus met her. And when he met her there, he asked her for a drink of water. Her first question, why is it that you being a Jew would ask me a Samaritan for a drink of water? See, because she was firmly entrenched in cultural, racial boundaries. Hear me, somebody. I'm going to read your mail right now. You need to understand there is no room in the gospel for cultural, racial, linguistic boundaries. The gospel is open to everyone. The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. What matters is the condition of your heart. It doesn't matter if you're from Africa or Asia or Latin America or the United States or Europe. The same Savior died for us all. The same blood cleanses us all. And we are family in the throne of God. Amen. Someone said to me last week, Sunday morning in Tallahassee is the most segregated hour of the week. That may be true, but it's not true here. Say amen. I don't tolerate that nonsense. I don't tolerate that junk. You're my brother. You're my sister. I don't care what you look like, what you sound like, what tongue you speak as your native language, what culture you are from. When we come to the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are family. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female in the family of God. Or someone get that in your spirit. Drives me nuts when I see the church practicing prejudice. How can you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ when you adopt those kinds of attitudes? Well, that's the way I was raised. I already told you, get over that stuff Grandma taught you. Because it's stinking thinking, it's going to pollute and contaminate your heart, and it's going to rob you of the gift God wants to give to you. Get it in your spirit this morning. It's a radical God. Radical God. He did radical things. Why would he talk to that woman? He wasn't supposed to, to him, to his culture, to his ethnic group, the Jews. She was nothing but a half-breed. She was a dog. That ain't worth talking to. She lived on the wrong side of the tracks. She had nothing going for her. But Jesus gave her life. He gave her living water. 
And then the Bible says that she went back into the city and she told the men, come and see the man that's told me everything I ever did. Oh, come on, this morning we need to realize we serve a God who knows where we've been, knows where we're at, knows what we've done, and He loves us anyway. He says, come on in. Come on in, because that's the purpose of the promise keeper. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ being born in a barn, laid in a feed trough, announced by angels to the shepherds, and seeing God do mighty things from that point forward. Look at Luke 2, 16 through 18. I'm wrapping it up. Speaking of the shepherds, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. What did they make widely known? We bring good tidings of great joy. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. They became the first witnesses to the Christ child and the promise keeper. And they didn't just keep it boxed up within them. The Bible says they told everybody. Oh, friend, how can we come to church, worship a living Jesus, magnify the King of Kings, and then go for the next six days and not say a word about Him to anybody? God, would you visit us like you did those shepherds on that hillside? Would you put a passion in us that burns so intently and so brightly that we can't be silent? God, would you energize your church to become the messenger of the promise keeper? And then look at verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. The appropriate response to the grace of God and to experiencing Jesus is exuberant joy. Exuberant joy. Oh, I'm telling you, when you understand what God has done for you, it's going to change you from the inside out. It's going to take away the frown and give you something to smile about. It's going to take away the sadness and the depression and fill you with the joy that is unspeakable. Come back, Tom. Let's sing that one more time. Stand to your feet with me across this room. I want him to sing it out. Joy to the world. It's joy. Joy unspeakable. And would you make some noise in this place if you know the Savior? If you've heard what the shepherds heard, would you lift your voice and magnify Him and exalt Him because He's worthy? Come on. Sing it out this morning. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, 
chctoday.com.